Well, hello there, happy innovators. How are you doing on this fine, uh, freezing, frigid, cold, snowy, icy morning? The first podcast of the year 2020. And uh, I hope you had a great new year. I hope you partied, but remained, you know, careful and responsible and safe. Um, a little anxious to get started today. Pretty early. And so, you know, I'm just going to get right to my talking bits today. Um, You know, I wanted to tell you about this video that my wife and I found on YouTube. It was like one of those things where my my wife stumbled across it and she was like, hey, check this out. I think you're going to like this. And it was this video about these elderly people who are suffering from dementia. And I guess. In order to start this year of 2020 off properly, I'm going to grab my handy dandy uh, new Oxford American Dictionary. As you know, I trust it as a reliable source for information. Um, Okay, so let's see here. The definition of dementia. A chronic or persistent disorder of the mental processes caused by brain disease or injury and marked by memory disorders, personality changes, and impaired reasoning. Okay, dementia. And uh, in this video, okay, of these elderly people that are suffering from dementia, the experiment they were doing was... They were making a playlist, okay, of the music from, like, this specific person's life, okay? Like, they contacted the family, and they asked them what kind of music they liked and things like that, and they made a playlist. And, you know, in these cases, you'd have this, you know, elderly person kind of, you know, huddled over, kind of, like, despondent. Um, and, uh, you know, quiet. And they would ask them questions like, do you remember your mother's name? And they would not be able to remember. And do you remember your father's name? They would not be able to remember. Um, Can you tell us about your childhood, where you grew up? They wouldn't be able to remember, etc., etc., right? Now check this out. They take that playlist, all right, and they put the headphones on these people, okay? And as soon as the music started to play, they would react, okay? They would, in some cases, get up out of their chair, even though they weren't able to really stand up on their own. They would get up out of the chair and start to dance to the music. They would start to sing the song as it was playing, and... It was absolutely amazing to watch this, okay, like unfold, like um, almost a completely different person emerged as soon as the music started to play in their ears and tears would come and they would start talking about memories and things that were happening when they were younger, what the song reminded them of. I mean, can you believe this? The power of music, right? It's an unbelievable thing. And um, they would afterwards, okay, after the music ended, 
they would interview them again and they would ask them the same series of questions that they had asked them previously to hearing this music, right? And, you know, what is your mother's name? Bam, they'd answer. What was your father's name? Bam, they'd answer. You know, uh, where did you grow up? And they would start giving details and uh, talking about their childhood. And it was just absolutely amazing. Like, this music just opened up the minds of these people. Just like, um, you know, I guess it's something I've talked about before in the past. Where... um, You know, music, to me anyway, is like a time machine sometimes. And I'm sure it's like this for many other people, if not everyone. Um, That, you know, you hear a song and it'll immediately take you back to the time when you heard it. And you remember all of a sudden, like, who you were hanging around and what you were doing and what you looked like and what the world was like at that time. And it all comes back to you with that piece of music right well this is like a you know scientifically measured experiment along those lines and i was just so taken aback when i was watching it you know like i don't know i guess i go through life most of the time um not disregarding music especially my own music but Uh, It doesn't seem to be as important to me as it probably should be, okay? Um, But I'll tell you what. When I see something like this, you know, this experiment on these dementia patients, you know, uh, being, you know, immersed in the music of their life and how it brings everything back to them, it reanimates them even... Whoa, you know, I gotta take a step back a little bit and just kind of think about that. You know, that this thing that we call music and we, you know, we enjoy it for entertainment or whatever, uh, you know, maybe there's a little bit more to it than just entertainment. Maybe it's uh, a way, I guess, of cataloging our lives, you know. Uh, I mean, think about it. I I immediately did myself. I I went back as far as my memory could take me, and I started to think about, okay, if I had a playlist like this, what songs would be on it? You know, what what is the music of my life? And um, I also kind of wondered, they didn't do this in the experiment, but I also wondered, like, what it would be like, okay, like, in this experiment, they had these people who only listened to the music, okay? But what would it be like for a dementia patient who was a composer, okay? And what would happen when they played their own music to them? Like, what would come out in that situation? I I can't imagine, but I tried to because, you know, I guess in some way it would apply to me. And what a strange, strange thought and really a flattering one and an amazing one, really, that maybe, okay, just maybe, one of the songs or maybe a few of the songs that I've written over the course of my lifetime, maybe some of my music is serving people that way, you know? Isn't that amazing to think about? Like, maybe somebody has adopted one of my songs on their playlist, 
you know, the, the music of their life. It's possible. It's possible, you know. Uh, and it's a fun thought. It's a fun thing to think about. And, you know, so I'm thinking about dementia, right? I'm thinking about music, dementia, these people. And it reminded me of this story, okay? There's a person in my life right now who I just happened to see about a month ago for the first time in a long time, okay? And it's a relative of mine, my aunt, and uh, she suffers from dementia, okay? And uh, when I saw her, okay, it was abundantly clear that the person that I used to know, the person that I remembered, was, you know, still there, but not entirely, okay? Now, this particular aunt of mine was my mom's sister, okay? Um, Our families growing up were very close, okay? My mom had two sisters, okay? And uh, we were close to all of our cousins and everything, but we were particularly close to my aunt's children. And my best friend, really, growing up all throughout childhood and even into early adulthood was my cousin. And, you know, I spent so much time with them. I did. I, uh, especially around the holidays, when the holidays came, you know, our families would always, always get together. Uh, You know, 4th of July, Thanksgiving, Christmas, um, Memorial Day, even. Um, You know, these were uh, big shakedowns, you know, between the two families. And we would always have so much fun. And most of the time, uh, we would go to my aunt's house to celebrate. Or sometimes they'd come to my house, too. But most of the time, we went over to my aunt's house. And um, like I said, I spent a lot of time there, um, you know, when I wasn't in school. You know, I was usually there. Um, And I loved spending time there because it was a very different place than where I lived. You know, there was a lot more forest and a lot more undeveloped land. And uh, a lot more freedom because my cousin that I was best friends with was the second youngest of seven. And I was the middle child of six. So... um, a lot of his brothers and sisters were adults already, and uh, you know his parents were at the tail end of their child rearing, so there was pretty much only two kids in the house at that time, and so you know they had a lot more freedom. It just seemed to me like they had a lot more of everything, really. So whenever I went there to spend time, it was a treat. It was fantastic. It was like heaven. They had a pool. They had you know, forest. We were allowed to go wherever we wanted. They had a candy store nearby and my aunt would always throw us some cash and we'd go get some candy. And it was just always a very fun and happy place. And, uh, the reason that I'm even really talking about her other than the fact that she has dementia right now. Okay. Is that she was also a musician. Okay. And she was, as far as I can remember, she really was the only real musician in my family. And I mean, my family at large. I mean, uh, you know, she was it, you know, out of maybe 60 people, you know, that I knew of. 
in my family, uh, she was the only one who played a musical instrument. And in fact, she played more than one instrument and she also sang. And um, I mean, I can remember so many times um, uh, when I was younger, we would go to church and my aunt would be singing in church uh, and playing guitar sometimes and playing piano sometimes and, um, you know, live performance. So I got to go every Sunday and watch my aunt perform live. And uh, it wasn't lost on me. You know, it was something that had a lot of impact on me. And uh, her and I were always, always very close, you know, very close. And, um, you know, a lot of the time, okay, um, my cousin and I, her son and I, um, you know, we shared a lot of things in common other than our family and everything. We both loved music. We both loved sports and stuff like that, okay? But... Um, the difference was, okay, in retrospect, was that I was a musician, okay, my cousin was an athlete, okay, and he was a very good athlete, um, and I had devoted my thinking, my life, my interest into music, and he did likewise with athleticism, you know, sports, okay, um, now, you know, I know how to play football. I know how to play baseball and, you know, basketball even and, you know, different sports. But I wasn't dedicating my life to it, okay? And my cousin, you know, he knew how to play guitar. He knew how to play piano. You know, he had a musical sense. He could play drums a little bit too, you know. Um, he was interested in music. But he was dedicated and devoted to sports so it was part of the reason why I think we got along so well was like um, we both were interested in both things so when he wanted to play music or sports I was game either way you know um, but I think that my aunt okay probably more than anyone else in my family really she probably picked up on the idea at least that I was you know musically inclined like when I was at their house I spent a lot of time um, sitting behind her piano and you know I can remember specifically many times when I would be playing the piano and my aunt would be in the kitchen you know cooking or doing something and uh, because she was a stay-at-home mom okay so um you know, I would be playing the piano and messing around and having fun. And my cousin would be off somewhere else doing something else, you know. And, uh, you know, because their home was like my home, really. I mean, that's how it felt. Um, so I would be playing the piano. She'd be in the kitchen and um, I would stop playing, you know, like I would lose interest and maybe want to step away and do something else. And she'd say, oh, you know, she'd yell from the kitchen, don't stop playing. Don't stop playing. Keep playing okay, you know, so I'd sit down at the piano again and, you know, keep playing. I mean, she was always, like, very encouraging that way. And, uh, you know, she bought an acoustic guitar. I remember it was a red ovation guitar. Had one of those kind of, like, uh, you know, bowled out back on the guitar. It was, like, rounded. Um, 
you know, and uh, I guess kind of odd shaped, but um, oh, it was a nice guitar. I mean, it was really nice. And she did not care if we played it, which was great. So, you know, I spent quite a bit of time playing her guitar as well, learning, you know, how to play. And, uh, you know, a lot of the time it's just really having the exposure, like the opportunity to just play around on an instrument without being interrupted or anything, you know. Um, But uh, I have a lot of memories like that, you know, me sitting in their living room where the instruments were and just kind of playing around and, you know, really having a lot of fun. So a few years later, you know, from all this time I'm talking about, when I was younger, my aunt had decided that she wanted to give me her guitar. Okay. Now, this was like a great honor to me. And it was also like a really great opportunity for me because, you know, I didn't have a really nice guitar. (laughs) So... Oh, it was just fantastic, you know. My aunt, you know, gives me her guitar, and I took it home, and I was just so happy, you know, so happy. Well, here's the twist in the plot here, okay? My cousin, okay, my best friend, okay, my best friend, uh, turns out that he was really upset with his mother that she had given me the guitar And she had not given it to him. So, regretfully, you know, my aunt kind of like calls me up and says, Hey, I know I gave you that guitar, but, you know, your cousin is very upset about this. And he would like me to give him the guitar. So I'm going to ask you if you would be willing to bring the guitar back and I'll give it to him. And... I was heartbroken, okay, and disappointed, but mostly I was confused. Like, I was shocked that my best friend would be like that about it. Like, it didn't seem like in his character, you know. Um, So, I guess you can say that was kind of like the beginning of a rift between him and I. Um... We didn't talk about it. We didn't, you know, act out or anything like that. But it was the beginning of the end of that relationship, really. Okay. Well, what's cool is, okay, because there's a happy ending to this story. Okay. My mother, my aunt's sister, okay, um, was extremely angry about this. Okay, she was like, oh, that is just so lame. You know, I can't believe that they're handling it this way. So my mother, out of the kindness of her heart, believe it or not, you know, she was really this upset. She drives me to the nearest music store, the music store that I would wind up frequenting, you know, throughout my young adult life as a musician. Um, And she says to me, pick out any guitar that you see here and we're going to buy it and you're going to have a guitar. True story. So I search around the music store. I'm looking around, looking around and I stumble across this Fender 12-string acoustic guitar. 
okay? And uh, that was what I picked. And we bought it, threw it in the car, drove home. And, you know, subsequently for the next, I don't know, (laughs) what, 20, (laughs) 30 years, um, I have been using this acoustic 12-string guitar. Um, Oddly enough, that red ovation that my aunt had given to my cousin, well, nobody knows where that is anymore. It's kind of like, you know, disappeared or got destroyed or, you know, whatever, uh, It's not in my hands anymore, you know? Had it been, it would be probably sitting in a case or in the corner, polished, restrung, tuned, you know, ready to go. Uh, Probably would have recorded, you know, many songs with it, or at least written them. But uh, I wrote and recorded with this 12-string. Now, that same 12-string guitar, if you watch uh, the video I made for... Here Comes the Sun, the uh, Pipe Choir Here Comes the Sun video, or if you watch the Pipe Choir Ignite to Light video, um, you'll see that I'm playing that 12-string. It's that same guitar that I'm talking about here. So I thought that was a nice little tidbit that I would give you. Um, Pretty cool story, you know? At least I thought it was. Anyway. You know, it's... It's funny to think about all this stuff again, you know? Um, it's funny to think about, you know? And when I saw my aunt a couple, or well, actually probably about a month ago now, um, she didn't really recognize me at first, you know? Um, but I went up to her and I hugged her and I kissed her and she's just this sweet, gentle, little old lady, kind of timid everything she used to be like a little bit more animated and loud and talking and laughing and funny and now she's kind of just huddled over watching everything that's happening around her and I walked up to her and kissed her and I'm you know hey I'm Mike I'm Michael you know do you remember me and she looked at me and she's like no I don't remember I'm like I used to play your piano a lot I used to play your guitar a lot Oh, yeah, yeah. That's nice. That's nice. You know, it's it's like she doesn't remember who I am, but she can remember someone playing music in their house. Um, Yeah, just one of those things. Probably didn't need to share that with the world, you know. But hey, why not? It's there. It's true. It's part of the story. But, uh, and sadly enough, too, her son and I, you know, we haven't spoken in years. Um, we used to be best friends, you know, even into our young adult life, we were really close and everything, but, you know, like all good things, you know, withered on the vine, but, you know, that's life, right? So, you know, it's kind of a sad thing, really, and it was one of those times, I guess, marks a change in my life, you know, like the first time that I ever kind of experienced... Oh, you know, I don't know what's the word. Is it you know, envy, you know, or something like that, you know, uh, negative uh, jealousy, you know, from my best friend, you know. And of course, it was like, you know, it had something to do with music, right? You know, it had to be along those lines, you know. Um, 
but that was something that I kind of sensed, you know, when I was growing up. There was a little bit of, I guess, competition along those lines that, um, you know, I because I had devoted my entire being to this thing called music, you know, making music. Um, and my cousin had not done that. He had devoted his life to other things like sports, right? And uh, eventually computers and technology and stuff like that. Um, and there was always this kind of tone when it came to music. Like I could tell, you know, uh, you know, one of us had gotten better at the music thing. And uh, it was obvious. And I think that it bothered him a little bit. And it bothered me that it bothered him, you know. Um, but it was my first experience with something like that. And unfortunately, you know, sitting here right now, it was only the beginning of that kind of thing. I, I don't really know if other musicians really ever talk about that. But, you know, there's a weird kind of attitude sometimes that people adopt when they find out that you're a musician. Of course, you know, you have a handful of people that will just blow you off. You know, like you're just wasting your time. You're a person who is wasting their time. But there are other people who, you know, maybe had at one time in their life aspired to that kind of thing. They wanted to be a musician. They had a guitar. They wanted to play. You know, they had a drum set. They wanted to learn how to play and be in a band and be a musician. And it just never really panned out for them. It was like something that didn't come to them naturally or whatever. And eventually they lose interest or whatever. Well, you know, that didn't happen for me. You know, in fact, if anything, I just, my interest grew and grew and grew. I mean, the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn and the more I wanted to do it. But, you know, it's sometimes uncomfortable, you know, when you're confronted by that kind of thing from someone, you know, that sense of, you know, envy you know, I've talked about it before, I guess, where they, they think the grass is greener on my side of the fence. Like, I, I made a choice with my life that's, like, you know, creative and artistic, and it must be very fulfilling. And, you know, this ordinary life that they're living is much more boring and not as interesting as my very interesting artistic life. But it's not true. It's a myth. You know, it's BS. It's like... I see them the same way, you know, like, oh, I've wasted my life with this music thing and look how great their life is. They have a house and a white picket fence and children and, a, you know, a life. And, oh, here I am, you know, still, you know, writing these songs and trying to, you know, get exposure and all those kinds of things. Well, you know, it's all BS, you know, be happy in thine own skin. Like I said a couple episodes back, you know, I'm happy with what I got. You know, I'm happy with what I have, but uh, I guess it's human nature, right? We always want more, you know. There's actually a song I consider to be one of the greatest uh, songs of all time. One of the best written songs of all time. And it's a song by The The. It's called True Happiness This Way Lies. You know, it's a lyrical masterpiece, it's an, and it's a production masterpiece, and it's a performance masterpiece. But all that aside, uh, there's a part in that song where he says, well, actually, I can recite it to you. He says, have you ever wanted something so badly that it possessed your body and your soul through the night and through the day until you finally get it, and then you realize that it wasn't what you wanted 
after all. And then those self-same, sickly little thoughts now go and attach themselves to something or somebody new. And the whole goddamn thing starts all over again. Well, I've been crushing the symptoms, but I can't locate the cause. Could God really be so cruel to give us feelings that could never be fulfilled? Baby, I got my sights set on you, you who... I've got my sights set on you. And someday, 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 you'll come my way. But when you put your arms around me, I'll be looking over your shoulder for something new. Cause I ain't never found peace upon the breast of a girl. I ain't never found peace with the religion of the world. I ain't never found peace at the bottom of a glass. Sometimes it seems the more I ask for, the less I receive. Sometimes it seems the more I ask for, the less I receive. The only true freedom is freedom from the heart's desire. And the only true happiness this way lies. There you go. little impromptu vocal performance for you there of True Happiness This Way Lies by The The, one of the greatest written songs of all time, one of the greatest recordings of all time, one of the greatest productions and performances of all time, in my humble, arrogant opinion. Thank you. So, like I said, we're here at the beginning of the year 2020, a year that I've always kind of felt would be a particularly interesting year. And as we approached the year 2020, it was kind of like something that I kind of was convinced of, that 2020 would be a special year. And uh, I won't get into all of that right now. I'm going to kind of let the year kind of chug along a little bit before I start, you know, pontificating on uh, my opinions of the year 2020. But... um, I guess it would be appropriate, right, to share with you a song that I have. I wrote it back in, man, maybe 2012. It's a song called 2020 Vision. And, um, you know, it's one of those things. It's like I wrote it. I had an idea of what I thought it meant at the time I wrote it. And, you know, now, you know, some eight years later, I'm sitting here in my studio And uh, it's the year 2020, and that song has kind of taken on a little bit of a different meaning for me. Um, 
So stay tuned, folks, to after this podcast is ended, and I'll share with you my song, 2020 Vision. It's from the Ad Astro One you know, PC3 album, um, I believe released back in 2014, I think. Um, and uh, you know what else I'm going to do? Because I have to get back to work. Uh, I'm working on, of course, new music. And... You know, I had the idea the other night to share with you a snippet, a small little sample of one of my newer pieces of music that I'm working on for Pipe Choir. And uh, it's a new song, a brand new song that I'm working on. I know it's not an old song that's being revisited or something. It's a brand new piece, and it's called The Damage a Lie Can Do. Um, It'll be on the forthcoming, you know, Pipe Choir album. Um, uh, currently, it's an untitled album. I have a few titles I'm throwing around, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, um, so I'm going to give you a little snippet of it, like a little taste. You know, normally I'm against this kind of thing. I don't like to release music or let people hear music before it's completely finished. But this little snippet's not going to hurt anybody, and this song is pretty far along. It's pretty close to being what I would consider complete. So um, just between you and I, here's a little snippet of my new song, The Damage a Lie Can Do by Pipe Choir. And uh, check it out. Tell me what you think. Okay, folks, so that was my snippet from my new song, uh, soon to be released. The the complete song will be released probably within the next month or two or something like that, um, if I remain on schedule. Um, And uh, so for now, I'm going to get going. I'm going to get back to work. I'm going to go finish that song. Um, And so until next time, my happy innovators... This is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off. 
And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy. So congratulations, all you happy innovators. If you stuck around to this section of the podcast today, you're going to hear a song, like I mentioned before, called 2020 Vision. I hope you like it. Uh, PC3, uh, Ad Astra 1, was the album that it was released on. And um, I guess really quick, I can mention a couple things about it that I remember. Um, Let's see, 2020 Vision. Well, 2020 Vision was the first song I did that was what I call an honest wave composition. A song that was written and produced and recorded with the conscious thought and effort of making a song that was like 20 minutes long. Okay, like a really long song. I mean, just prior to this one, okay, I had released a song called Try, and it was maybe like eight or ten minutes long. I unfortunately don't remember exactly, but that was my first experiment with uh, Honest Wave, you know, a long playing song, okay, longer than the conventional time of like three or five minutes. Try was like, you know, eight or ten minutes or something like that. And that experiment went very well. So I decided to sit down and consciously write a song that was like 20 minutes long. I would, you know, really work on it, really pay attention to detail, really get into it, you know, and make it a song, not just a long piece of music, but have lyrics and have meaning and all those things, right? So here it is, 2020 Vision, my first real attempt conscious attempt to make a song uh, that was 20 minutes long, okay, which, as you know, became, you know, really a major part or a major aspect of the music that I make, uh, especially here and now in the year 2020. So, you know, it was kind of like um, a vision of what I hoped my future might be. And um, so here you go. 2020 Vision, PC3. Check it out.
So there you go, folks. 2020 vision. I hope that you liked it. I hope that it was cool and you enjoyed it. My first, you know, romp through a 20 minute song, you know, um, and I also decided that what I was going to share today, because it's the first podcast of 2020, um, I'm going to share with you a special little podcast I did a long time ago, back in the Snowflake 33 days, a podcast that I did about my grandfather, somebody who had a major impact on my life, especially my musical life and my creative life. My grandfather was a very creative and interesting person. So much so that, you know, back in the Snowflake 33 days, I devoted three whole podcasts to this man, you know, my grandfather, this icon in my life. Um, so check it out. Tell me what you think in the comments, maybe. Um, otherwise, enjoy, folks. Peace out. And until next time, behave, stay out of trouble. And, you know, once again, remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. And you also have to want what you've got, right? And not want what you don't got. (laughs) Like my wife always says, you get what you get and you don't get upset. (laughs) So with that, ladies and gentlemen, my happy innovators, stay out of trouble, be safe, have fun and... Until next time, you know, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy. Hello, all you happy innovators. How you doing? Are you having a good week? I hope you're having a good week. Here we are at episode 33 of Snowflake 33. The end of Snowflake 33. It's a little bit sad, but the end is the beginning is the end, you know. So don't feel too bad. This whole thing's going to continue, but just in a different form, slightly different form anyway. Of course, you know, I do reserve the right to occasionally change things or change direction at will, you know, because after all, this is my show. And uh, I would imagine that as my audience, you probably appreciate the spirit of that, that um, my creative process and my ideas are, you know, kind of a wild card kind of thing. And um, I would like to think that if you're tuning in to me, whether it's the music or the talking or whatever it is, that you probably appreciate that, at least on some level. Anyway, so we are here at this final episode of Snowflake 33, the 33rd episode of Snowflake 33. And I had reserved a very special topic for this particular episode. Um, you know, originally I wanted to talk about this in the first couple of episodes, but, you know, one thing led to another and that wound up not happening. And I'm kind of glad for that now, because now I get to wrap up this whole Snowflake 33 thing, uh, 
discussing the topic that's probably, you know, one of the most important to me. Anyway, as far as my career as an outsider artist, as far as my uh, development uh, when I was younger and even into my adult life. Um, And I guess, you know, I'll just cut to the chase, you know. There have been a lot of people in my life that have had a lot of impact. I've had, you know, a lot of influences, a lot of heroes, a lot of um, remarkable people that I knew personally. I've known a lot of great men. I've known a lot of great women. Um, But when I look back on my life in its totality, okay, and I... I think of all the people that I've known and there's a lot, okay? But there's one person that really kind of stands out to me in my memory and that person is my grandfather, okay? My grandfather on my mother's side, okay? Um... My grandfather is kind of like a legend in my family, okay? He's kind of like this Paul Bunyan kind of character, you know, where different family members and, you know, from all different ages have different memories of him. And he was this, like, remarkable individual. He was extremely creative, uh, he was extremely compassionate. He was physically strong. Uh, he was really funny. And um, my grandfather was a very unique individual. He was different than everyone else. And I guess that's what I want to talk about with this final episode. Of Snowflake 33. I can't think of a better person to dedicate it to, or a better memory to dedicate it to, than that of my grandfather on my mother's side. Okay, there's a big difference in my family between my dad's dad and my mom's dad. Two very different people. Okay. Um,. I did not know my grandfather on my father's side as well as I knew my grandfather on my mother's side um, because my grandfather on my father's side died when I was really young. Okay, I have, I have a very vague memory of him, but my grandfather on my mother's side was a pretty big part of my life. I spent quite a bit of time with my grandparents. Uh, My family spent quite a bit of time with my grandparents at their house and vice versa. And uh, um, so I think that my grandfather is, you know, a pretty good topic to end Snowflake 33 with and kind of just like segue into the next phase of my podcasting and and what I'm going to be talking about in the future. I just can't think of a better topic to end this project with. 
And I also think it's kind of funny. I want to mention this really quick in case you haven't noticed already that as I'm talking to you, I'm sick. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I have like a cold right now. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of had to laugh to myself because it's like a year to the day almost that I started Snowflake 33. And like I mentioned a couple episodes back, I was sick and I decided to do it anyway. Well, you know, of course, as soon as I started planning on doing this final episode, bam, I got sick, man. And it like sucks. But it's like, I, like I said, I have to laugh. Just go right ahead and keep going. Just do it anyway. Do the last episode sick. You know, it's like tradition now, right? Pretty funny. It's definitely not something I planned. But you can hear it in my voice, right? At least I'm not like talking like I'm absolutely dying, you know? It's more like just in my nose or whatever. So I apologize for that. But, you know, I did have to laugh because it's like, oh yeah, okay, it's tradition. I get it. Why not? Just go right ahead and keep talking anyway. Anyway, back to my grandfather, this guy, you know, that had this huge impact on me for so many reasons and in so many ways. So I figured, like, there's so much to talk about with my grandfather. I mean, it crosses over and it's the, the, the themes and the impact my grandfather had on me is so broad that you can break it up into categories, you know? Like, uh, my existence as an artist, my existence as a man, my existence as a child, my existence as a songwriter, my existence as a husband. The categories that my grandfather impacted on my, in my life are so broad. I mean, I could talk about him for days. I mean, there's so much to talk about. So I'm going to really try to fit it all in. I suppose what I'll do is I'll, I'll talk to you about my grandfather um, in my memories. Like what comes to me first, okay? And when I think about my grandfather, the very first thing that I think about is how strong he was. That's the first memory I have, okay? My grandfather, when I was like a little kid, he was like in his 70s or 80s, okay? So he was an older man, well past retirement, um, but he was still physically strong, okay? Now, when I say that, what I mean is my grandfather was ripped, okay? He was huge. He was like, his arms were huge, his chest, I mean, he was, he was one of the strongest people I ever knew, okay? When I was a kid, I have a memory of my grandfather tearing phone books in half, okay? Like, we would be over at their house, and we would be like, you know, oh, Grandpa, you know, can you tear a phone book in half for us, you know? And he'd be like, all right, and he'd just, you know, reach over and grab it, just tear it right in half, like, rip and you know I don't know where he was getting all these phone books from but he never seemed to mind uh, tearing his phone book in half for us it was uh, something he would do for like entertainment for us it was great amazing actually 
okay? So he was this huge, strong, physically strong, and robust elderly man, okay? And, you know, I remember that, you know, most of the time my grandfather, you know, would dress, you know, really conservatively, kind of like, you know, a button-up shirt and a pair of slacks, you know, nice shoes or something like that. Um, like the proper decorum, you know, for an elderly man, you know. But every once in a while, when we would go over to their house, like he would be working out in the yard and he would have like his shirt off, you know, and he would be working and sweaty and just, you know, doing something. And uh, I remember he was very strong and very tan. And my grandfather is like 70 years old, okay? White chest hair, white chest hair, okay? But built like a brick shit house, you know? And uh, he wasn't a fire plug either. He was tall and he was just physically strong, okay? And I remember, too, how big his hands were and how weird his hands were, really, because they were like leather. I mean, his hands were working man's hands. My my grandfather, before he retired, had worked for a company called Ohio Bell, which was a telephone company. And Ohio Bell is actually where my grandparents met. My grandmother worked at the phone company as an operator, and my grandfather was a lineman. You know, he would climb telephone poles manually and fix telephone lines. That's what he did for a living. And my grandfather did that job for like 40 years. And for the most part, it was the only job that he ever had. And, uh, Eventually, you know, after they got married, my grandmother stopped working. But, um, yeah, he had the same job for like 40 years. But, uh, you know, I explained to you a few episodes back about how I had done land clearing, you know, construction, uh, clearing out trees for new buildings that were going up. Okay, I did that for quite some time. Now, when I did that job... I was a ground guy. I was on the ground, you know, dropping trees and clearing out areas for new buildings to be built. I didn't climb the trees. I just cut them down from, you know, the ground. And my buddy that was in Slow Bob didn't climb either. Okay? So, like, one of the things I learned on that job, working with that guy from Slow Bob in that construction crew was that being a climber is a different kind of thing, okay? It requires different strength and a different kind of physical endurance, okay? And uh, we would hire out somebody to come and climb for us when that needed to be done, okay? It was a special thing we would hire someone for. When a tree was too close to a building or something, we would hire a climber. Well, by doing that job and watching and observing these climbers, I kind of had a different appreciation for what my grandfather did for a living. Okay? I understood, I think, maybe a little bit better what that required. Like, what kind of 
strength he would have to summon to do that job every day, okay? And the kind of physical strength you need, the, the, the kind of physical strength that's required to do that kind of work. So it makes sense to me now when I think about my grandfather and how physically strong he was, why he was that strong. Um, and like I said, his hands were, of course, I was a little guy, right? So his hands seemed absolutely huge to me, but I remember what they looked like, okay? And they were like, they were like leather. I mean, my grandfather's hands were so calloused and so worked and worn that the skin on his fingers was different than everyone else's, okay? Very coarse and very strong and durable. And when I think about my grandfather, those are the first things that come to mind. That's the first things that come to my memory, okay? The second thing that comes to my memory was... uh, the fact that my grandmother, my mother's mother, had rheumatoid arthritis, okay? She was riddled with arthritis uh, when I was a young kid. So my memory of my grandmother is this very small and frail woman, okay, who was for the most part immobile, uh, you know, suffering extreme amounts of pain on a daily basis, right? Because she had this arthritis and it was really bad. Okay, it was really bad. Her fingers were disfigured from this disease. Okay, that's why I remember this. And the contrast between my grandfather and my grandmother, these two completely different specimens of human being. Okay, one very frail and very weak and and dependent on him, and then this other figure, my grandfather, who was robust and strong and loud and funny and full of life and energy and power. I mean, this guy was extremely animated and charismatic. And when he talked, people listened. And when he made a joke, people laughed. I mean, he was like that kind of guy. But he cared for my grandmother. And he loved my grandmother so much, okay? Everybody that knew my grandmother loved her, okay? My father has testified to that more than even my mother has, okay? And I'll get to that story later on because it's an important part of the story, the relationship between my father and my mother's mother, my grandmother. Um, and now the next kind of thing that comes to my memory is how different visits were to my grandparents' house as opposed to where I lived. Okay, now we didn't live very far away from my grandparents. The drive was maybe a couple of cities over, a couple of towns over, okay? But... My grandfather was a very unique individual, okay? His tastes and his worldview were very eccentric, okay? And 
I suppose that ultimately, okay, um, when I talk about the impact that my grandfather had on me as a person, this is definitely one of those things that I took from him. That it's important for a man to be physically strong, okay? And be able to take care of business, like to be that kind of person. But at the same time, be compassionate and delicate with people. That those two things can exist at the same time. And that it's important that you be your own person and be unique. Like being a unique person is admirable. It's something to strive for. That a person shouldn't readily fit into categories so easily. You know, that he could be strong and eccentric. Like that he could be macho, for lack of a better term, or eccentric or creative at the same time. That those two things could be in the same person at the same time. And what made him special or unique or different from everyone else was what was coming from inside of him. Okay, that's what made my grandfather unique to me, among many things. And I'm going to try to touch on all of them. Now, I'll give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Um, well, for one thing, when we would go over to my grandparents' house, I remember it being like my grandfather relished, and that's the word I would use, both of my grandparents relished their grandchildren. Okay? They reveled in it. They loved their grandchildren. They loved having grandchildren. Okay? Now, I know, having said that, okay, that it's not an unusual thing or a spectacular thing that, you know, grandparents love their grandchildren. I do know and understand that that is the case most of the time. However, and you may know this, that it's not always a given, okay? And I consider myself fortunate that that's how it was for me, okay? Because after all, this is my story. So I do understand it's not unusual that grandparents love their grandchildren. But my grandparents loved me, okay? So when we went over to their house, it was like we kind of had a supremacy, you know? We got to rule the roost a little bit because we were, I guess you could say we were kind of spoiled by them. Now, when I was at home with my parents, it was not that way. It was the opposite, okay? We were not spoiled by my parents whatsoever. In fact, it was, you know, kind of a austere <laughs> or, you know, mundane kind of existence, you know, like my parents were very careful with their money. They had to be. And um, we had more than enough and we were comfortable and all those things. But when we went to my grandparents' house, it was different. Okay. Okay. When I went to my grandparents' house, this is what I remember. They had cookies. They had 
every kind of cookie that you could think of in their cupboard. And both of my grandparents, my grandfather and my grandmother, took a great deal of pride in that cookie stash that they had for us. Okay, it was something they devoted time and energy to. So when we showed up, it was like a feast, you know, like it was the opposite of what it was like when we were at home. And, uh, you know, I just I just remember that kind of spirit in their house that when the grandchildren showed up, we took center stage. They, they loved it. Okay. And my parents would kind of just have to deal with it. <laughs> okay. Like, uh, it was, it was our show, you know, and, uh, it definitely wasn't like that at home. And that kind of love and that kind of generosity, that spirit of love that I've got from both of my grandparents is something I remember very, very clearly. Okay. And it matters a great deal, especially now that so much time has passed. Um, that's what stands out in my memory. My grandparents were happy. Their house was happy and my house was happy, but it was just a little happier at grandma and grandpa's house. Do you know what I mean? Um, now also too, my grandfather's house was very small. Okay. It wasn't a very big house, but it was like a museum. That would be like the best way to describe it. It was literally like an art museum. Now, when I say that, what I mean is like, not that my grandfather was hanging other people's artwork in his house. It was like his take on everything his how should I say it every single thing that was in my grandfather's house was very interesting Uh, everything in his house had either been built by him modified by him or you know was collected by him you know and and presented by him. So uh, he had a lot of collections of things. He had a collection of paperweights, just, you know, all these different paperweights, and they were all on display. These different glass kind of paperweight things that he had collected his whole life. Or, uh, like, the stuff he liked, the stuff that my grandfather displayed in his house or on his property was like, all of it was like an expression of him. And a lot of it was just fascinating. It was like every room of the house, you know, every part of their property had something on it or, you know, some kind of unique thing or picture or object or, you know, just everywhere you looked. It was in the kitchen. It was in their front room, their bedroom. Uh, the attic, the basement, the front yard, the backyard, the barn, the garage, everything, you know, had the, had his signature on it, you know, like his placement of items 
and his choice of items to put into his house was so unusual and unique. Like, I remember that he had a television, okay, it was a wooden, you know, council, television council, with the the glass removed, the guts removed, it was completely empty, and it was made into a bookshelf, okay? Now think about that. My grandfather turned his television into a bookshelf, okay? Now, my grandfather was an artist, okay? He did paint, and he did sculpt, and he did woodworking. He had a workshop where he did woodworking, and he made furniture, but I don't think that he was intentionally being artistic. I don't think he he even realized how artistic he, he actually was, okay? And I don't think I realized it myself until I got older, okay? Like, my grandfather was like the king of repurposing things, okay? Like the television to a bookshelf, you know, taking something that exists and then modifying it or changing it to become something else, okay? Now, of all the things I learned from my grandfather or that I took from my grandfather, that's probably the most important, okay? Because that idea, you know, that that philosophy or that practice of repurposing things is something that I do myself. It's something that I do a lot of myself. And I would have to say that it's kind of like in honor of him. It's, It's an attempt to continue that idea that he started. It's kind of like something that I feel I've inherited. It's part of my creative or artistic heritage that's been handed down to me by him. And it's something that I'm very proud of. It really was amazing. Some of the ideas that he had, like for instance, here's an example. Um, in his basement, he had this machete that he had made, okay? And it was a practical tool he needed for his property. I mean, he had a huge piece of property. The house wasn't big, but he had a lot of land, okay? And it was wooded, okay? Now, my grandfather's house had at one time been a working farm. Uh, Not so much when I was a kid. By that time, the farm thing had been kind of phased out a little, but but the structures of a farm were still there. And it was a large piece of land with a lot of trees. So there was a a practical need for something like a machete. Like you would need it to do the work on the property. Well, rather than buying one, okay, what my grandfather did was he took an old lawnmower blade and he reshaped it. He cut it. You know, he, he forged it and pounded it into a different shape, okay? And then he made this wooden handle for it and he riveted it all together and he had this nice 
machete. And, and I remember being a little kid and going to his house and like, you know, picking up this machete and like it was a sword or something, you know, a little bit of Napoleon dynamite, you know, and and uh, it was like just the coolest thing, you know, as a little kid like to, to have this thing in your hand. Like, yeah, this is totally righteous, like a, a sword or something. Well, I have that that machete. I took it. It was when my grandfather eventually uh, moved out of his house and everything. And that, that'll come later in the story. But I wound up owning that machete. And maybe I'll show you a picture of it right here so you can see what I'm talking about. Um, another thing, like here's another example of him repurposing something. Um, he took a bunch of branches from trees like on his property and somehow had constructed this coat rack out of it okay it's hard to explain but it was a freestanding like hat and coat rack that was in his house okay and uh, it was like uh, he took the the refuse from his yard and cleaned it up a little bit and transformed it into this practical structure that he would use in his house. That's where he kept his coats and his hats. They were all on this rack that he had made. Um, Another thing that comes to mind was, uh, or is, um, in his garage where his workshop was, uh, it was the coolest thing. He had every license plate that he'd ever owned. Okay. Now, my grandfather was born in like 1901. Okay. And by 1978 or 1980, you know, he had accumulated so many different license plates over the course of his life. And he had them all on display on this wall in his workshop and it covered the whole wall. Okay. Now he had license plates on his wall from when he had a model T Ford. Okay. Like from when cars were first invented. Okay. He had the, his first license plate all the way up to his, you know, current ones, you know, and just as a little kid, you would stand staring at this wall and it was like, you know, I guess like a form of like modern art. I mean, it was captivating because it covered so much time. But but there again, it's an example of taking something and, you know, repurposing it, taking it off your car and putting it on the wall. Now it's something you look at like a piece of art. And just as a kid, it was like just fascinating to stand there and look at it you know um what else i mean there's just so much about this guy you know um okay here's a cool story here's something that's really crazy my grandfather uh was digging around on his property once i think he was like you know excavating a garden or something you know something like that And he accidentally came across, he dug up uh, a Civil War rifle on his property, okay? And he had this weapon, 
this old gun refurbished professionally. You know, he had it cleaned up and made presentable, and he had it appraised as well for like $150,000 or some kind of crazy number like that. And it was on his wall in his house. So as a little kid, you know, I remember looking at this gun that was a relic of the Civil War, almost perfectly intact on his wall. And, you know, we were allowed to touch it and like look at it. It was amazing. I mean, that that in and of itself is something to stand there and stare at, right? Um, another interesting thing about my grandfather, okay, is that he always wanted to be a musician, okay? I kind of got that from my grandfather, that he wanted to be a musician, but he failed at that. Okay, it was something that he could not do. And there was evidence of him trying like a guitar and a ukulele up in his upstairs of his house where we would spend most of our time when we were at their house. And I I also remember that in his upstairs room where we were allowed to kind of like hang out and play, he had this easel set up, right? And on it was like this piece of fabric that was covered with all of these different election pins like the the pins that politicians hand out when they're you know campaigning you know so he had um you know just this this piece of fabric covered with all of these well i mean now i know for sure they were collectible and probably worth a lot of money um, these uh, these campaign buttons from even like before World War One, okay, and like all the way up to like you know Ronald Reagan, so uh, you know Spiro Agnew, Richard Nixon, uh, John F. Kennedy, Gerald Ford. I mean all these campaign buttons, and you know it was like right at eye level for a little kid. So we would like look at this thing. It was like a piece of artwork in and of itself, you know, just to look at this whole collection of buttons on this piece of fabric, you know, set up on this easel. But he also had in this same space, this guitar and this ukulele, which we were allowed to freely pick up and play and all these kinds of things, right? And we would, but what's really weird about this guitar that he had was that on the fretboard of the guitar, okay, where the frets are, where your fingers go to hold chords, right? He had all the notes uh, written on the fretboard of this guitar. So, you know, it was kind of like a, um, a guide for him to learn how to play this guitar. But despite that, he he never really learned how to play. All right. Now, that's a very important thing for two reasons. One, it was probably my first 
exposure to a guitar, okay, where I was, I was able to pick it up and play it whenever I wanted to, and no one would yell at me or stop me or anything. And this is a really important thing, especially now when I look back, because I was going to become a guitar player. I didn't know that at the time, but I was drawn to the instrument even when I was a kid, and I was allowed to experiment with that instrument even when I was just a little kid, okay? And we're talking like little, like three years old, four years old, five years old, you know? Um, and another reason why that is important to my story is because even at that young age, okay, I was a drummer. I, I knew what I wanted to do. And that was rather unfortunate for me in some ways because my parents didn't really know how to foster or nurture that kind of aptitude in a child. Okay? You know, they didn't really have a grasp of that. I don't think that it was like an unwillingness necessarily. It was just a lack of knowledge about musical instruments and things like that. Okay? They liked music, they listened to music, but they didn't play music. Okay? But my grandfather did. Okay? He got it. And I think that, well, I know, okay, from this story that I'm about to tell you, that this is a really important thing because there was this friend of mine who had a drum set, okay, that he was getting rid of. And I had a drum set that my parents had bought me, but it was kind of like a crappy drum set, okay? I mean, I was grateful for it. Don't get me wrong. They were real drums, but it was old and it was kind of junky and kind of an incomplete drum set. And my parents were kind of like not aware of that when they bought it. Like they, they wouldn't know what to buy me, okay? Even though I knew what to buy me, if they would have asked me, I could have told them, but they, you know, I was a kid. And it was like a, a gift from Santa Claus, you know, this drum set. So I was grateful for it and, and I loved it, but it was incomplete. Well, anyway, this friend of mine, like I was saying, was selling his drum set, okay? He wanted to sell it for $50. $50. It was a trap set. It was a Blue Sparkle Apollo drum set. I remember it like, you know, as clearly as I can remember anything in my life because I just loved this drum set. But my mother and my father were kind of like refusing to buy it for me for 50 bucks because I already had a drum set and you know 50 bucks is a lot of money when you're on a budget right well I was like heartbroken about this okay this was like a major major disappointment for me okay well while this whole issue of this drum set was like up in the air and we were arguing about it and discussing it I was probably about maybe 10 or 12 years old okay uh, 
My grandfather was over at our house. For whatever reason, he was there. And my mother and I were going back and forth about this drum set. And my grandfather obviously overheard the conversation. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, wait, like, what are we talking about here? You know, and my mother explains it to him. Well, you know, he wants this drum set. It's $50, but he's already got a drum set and we're not going to be spending that money. And, you know, and my grandfather actually got angry with my mother. Okay. Which never happened. Okay. Because he loved my mother. She was spoiled. Okay. She was his, his golden child, you know, but he got angry with her because she just wasn't willing to lay the money down. You know, it was about money. So my grandfather pulls out his wallet, slaps $50 down on the table right in front of me. And he says, go get your drums. Okay. Like, and that was totally, (laughs) that was totally freaking righteous. Right. But what it kind of showed me or tells me now as an adult looking back on it was that he was digging the fact that one of his grandkids was going to be a musician. Okay. Like that, that one of his grandchildren had been bitten by the bug and had the gift that he did not have. Now my grandfather was a very, like I said, gifted and charismatic guy but what really rocked his world was that one of his grandkids was going to be able to do something that he was never really able to do. And it was something he really desired. Okay. It was something he really tried to do, but he didn't succeed. So honestly and truly, I have to say that, you know, to this very day, you know, Every time I pick up an instrument, no matter what it is, guitar, bass, keyboards, drums, or even singing, whenever I'm engaging an instrument, I think about what it would mean to my grandfather if he were alive right now to see what I'm doing. Because of all the people in my life, okay, it probably would have mattered to him the most. And of all the grandchildren and all of the great grandchildren that he had, and there were a lot, um, I was the only one who was a musician. I was the only one who was able to do what my grandfather was not able to do. And that is something that I'm very proud of. And I'm sure that if he were around right now, he would be proud too. He would have been absolutely tickled that I was doing what I'm doing. Okay? Even though some people in my family may not really understand why I'm doing what I do, how I do what I do, or whatever. Okay? He would have. He would have. And that is extremely important, okay? And I guess, you know, maybe that's where I'll leave off for right now, okay? I'll amend because this story is so, is so broad, 
okay? This discussion is so broad, it can't be encapsulated in one episode of Snowflake 33. So, like I said, I'll leave off here and I'll amend this episode in the next, which will be 33B, okay? Anyway, so with that, this is Mike Bostwick signing off. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy.